Hello, fellow grievers. You have found the leftover pieces, Suicide Lost Conversations, and I am Melissa, your podcast host. Join me for real conversations and candid talk on hard topics surrounding the loss of a loved one to suicide. I talk with other lost survivors, mental health experts, advocates, and sometimes I offer my own thoughts. Every week we explore the questions that haunt us, seek the courage to uncover the healing tools within us, and hopefully offer the comfort of a community that we all need so very much. It's true our hearts and lives have been shattered, but come along with me and together let's choose to find meaning and even happiness amid the leftover pieces before us. Welcome. Today, my conversation is with my husband, GR. I want to share this conversation because I think it's important on many levels, and it's my hope that both grievers and the people that are their primary support will be able to take something from this. GR and I have been married for just over three years, and we've been back together almost eight. He was my college boyfriend. We were together probably four and a half years a long time ago, and reunited almost eight years ago. Our love story really is a great one. However, if you look back in history, it seems some of the greatest love stories are also steeped in tragedy. When we got back together, neither of us had any idea the tragedy that lie ahead. It's how we've lived through this grief and this loss of my son Alex that we come here to talk today. We will talk about the early days of our grief, and we'll also talk about it now, four and a half years later. And while we also did talk a little bit about this conversation before actually sitting down to have it, the conversation you're hearing is unscripted. And it would be fair to say that I probably asked him a few questions that were a bit of a surprise. And in the end, he offers some advice to the primary support people of those who have lost someone to suicide. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, honey. Thanks for being here. It's my pleasure. As you know, the plan for today is to just have a conversation about the last four and a half years and how we have weathered the storm together. I want to talk a little bit about how it was in the beginning, but also about the journey as we've gone along and kind of where we are now as far as how you see it. Are you okay with that? Yes, I'm, I'm good. Okay. So let's start off today then by having you tell the listeners a little bit about the story in your words and how things were in the beginning and just kind of what you want to share initially. Well, I remember that morning that we found out that Alex was gone. Um, I know it was a moment of absolute disbelief for me, and I knew that it would change everything um, going forward from the happy family that we had. Um, you know, who knew how we were going to get get through all of this? So, just over the next few uh, days and, and and weeks after he was gone, after the services were over. Um, you know, after the, the, the realization that he was actually gone started to set in for me, um, I realized that um, it was with me not being his father, going to be a completely different journey for you as his mother and for his brother and sister. Um, 
so it just kind it just kind of evolved um, quickly and slowly at the same time, and we just kind of learned. Um, we knew that it was going to, or I knew it was going to <clears throat> change everything. I just didn't know how it was going to change everything. And looking back on it, um, there's a handful of things I would have done differently. But at that time, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So here we are now. Well, I'll jump in for a second and say that while we've had probably... Um... I don't know, hundreds of hours of conversation over the last four and a half years mm -hmm. about the loss of Alex and many things having to do with it. Um, that's something that I'm not sure I've ever heard you say. So I would love to hear you um, add a little bit about um, so the fact that you said you would do something different if you could go back now, because that's the piece that probably would help maybe some people that are trying to figure it out in the early times know what they could do differently is to learn what you would do differently if you could. Well, I, I guess looking back, um, you know, the, the grief that a mother has um, for losing a child is, is the worst type of grief anybody could ever experience. And although I've lost my parents, um, you know, that, that grief, um, is, is not even close. At least it wasn't for me and what I was seeing happening with you. So going back in the past, if I had known then what I know now, um, I, I used to always try to fix things. And when uh, you would be have, you know, a moment when the emotions would all come back out in the beginning and um, throughout the first couple of years, I would try to fix it. And so as a piece of advice that I could give is that there's no fixing this. Um, and that's something that I've learned that sometimes it's best just to listen um, and and well for what it's worth the first year I know you know this but I don't remember a whole lot it's kind of like a slideshow I remember snippets of it um, I know that somewhere in my body because the body remembers I probably remember it all but in my actual memory, the shock of the first year protected me from a lot. So I will tell you that the most important thing for me is to, to know that you were there. And so while maybe everything wasn't perfect, maybe everything wasn't said perfectly, you never wavered from being there. And for me, that was, um, that was the most important thing. And yes, we did, we did learn and stumble a bit as we went along because we were in completely new territory. You were looking at a completely different version of me than you knew and trying to figure out, you know, how to, how to help me through that. And so I know that for me, and I'm going to guess for probably many grievers of suicide loss, one of the things that I did in the early days was kind of push back on you and I won't say encouraged you to not be here, but I, I remember asking you why you would want to do this now. And in our case, because we had come back together and because we thought we were going to have this, you know, love story where we rode off into the sunset and everything was perfect and wonderful. And then suddenly everything split wide open and we no longer recognized what our life was going to look like. And we knew that, that, that 
that version of our story wasn't going to exist anymore. So I remember pushing back and saying, you know, that I wouldn't blame you if you didn't want to do this anymore. And I'm just wondering if you would share your side of how you dealt with that, because obviously we got through that. Well, in in my mind, I do remember, you know, the handful of times where we would have conversations about, you know, the grief and about losing Alex. And you would say to me, you know, I don't blame you if you want to leave because, you know, now the family is not what everybody signed up for. It's changed. But in my mind, um, leaving was never an option um, because, you know, we love each other. And I knew that I had to be there for you and for um, Parker and Lauren, um, you know, to get through it, to try to hold the family together. But I didn't know how, and I don't feel like I'm some kind of great savior of this family. Because I had my grief too, um, but I know that it was it was different, and so I quickly realized that the grief that I was having was was different from your all. So I had to kind of keep that in check at times, because I could see what the death of Alex was doing to you and uh, to you know to the whole family and. Um, not being his father, I was very, very sad and, you know, that he was gone because I loved Alex and I was getting to know him better. But I was quite often angry at Alex for, um, you know, what he had done because, um, you know, he he didn't have to die. And, you know, I've heard that saying that, you know, suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary situation. And it, it made me angry that he, he did that and it was tearing the family apart and you were crushed. And, and, but I knew that me expressing my anger would, would go nowhere because I think I did once or twice and it ended up in conversations that weren't that fun. Not that any of this is fun, but, um, I, I just learned early that I had to keep my emotions, my grief, kind of to myself and think it out, you know, when I was by myself or whatever, um, so that you and Parker and Lauren could move forward, start to learn how to, how to cope with, with, you know, the grief that you all were, were going through. So, and then I, I could just be there to back then always trying to fix it, which learned very quickly that that didn't work. Yeah. Well, if I went back and looked at some of that, knowing what I know now, I know I would respond differently. That's the problem is when you're in the middle of it, you don't know what you're going to know later. And I didn't know if I was going to survive this, meaning, you know, it physically felt so bad that I wasn't sure I was going to be able to survive the pain of losing Alex. And so in dealing with that, um, you're right in the beginning, um, when you did trust me enough to let me know that you were angry about Alex, I'm just going to say this, I responded wrong. And so if somebody can learn from that, I knew inside of me that anger was a part of grief, but anger was the farthest feeling that I was having from Al from, you know, what happened towards Alex. And so, I didn't accept it as well as I should have. I mean, we since have talked about it many times, and I would say that you know that I'm not at all upset at you for the anger that you felt towards Alex now. Um, 
anger is a very normal part of grief and um it wasn't that i handled it horribly every single time we talked about it but yeah in the very beginning probably because of the fact that you weren't alex's father maybe is why i took that um the way i did i don't really know i don't want to overanalyze that piece but you know we both have said that what we would do a little differently and so one of the things i would do differently is to be more open-minded and to allow space for any feeling that you were having um, and work through that together maybe a little bit better. Well, I know that <clears throat> for me, the, the anger's not there anymore, and the anger's been gone for a long, long time, like years. Um, and, and over the course of time, over the last four and a half years, you know, educating myself, probably not as much as I should, but, you know, learning more about mental health and how somebody could get to the point where they want to take their own life, changed the way I viewed suicide. And so it changed the way I changed the way I approached, you know, Alex being gone and, and getting through it and being there for you. Because then as I learned more about mental health and how somebody could get to that point, made me realize that, you know, maybe there was nothing that anybody could have done. And anger was just a, a waste of time. Well, I think all of our emotions serve serve a purpose at the time. And so I'm sure that that was just something that you needed to to live in for a little bit. And a lot of it was, was you know, born out of your love and protection of all of those left behind us, the survivors. Right. And mm -hmm. I, I think it would, it's a, it's an interesting time. It's a good segue to maybe revisit something you just touched on for just a second, which is that how you were raised, which is probably not far from how a lot of us of our age were raised. Um, and we're both in our early fifties. That's not a s secret that I have to keep here. Um, you were raised maybe with an attitude towards suicide that um, you probably didn't give two, two thoughts about really it was something that, you know, we're all kind of a product of our environment. And I know that it's probably something you heard your parents or the people around you say as you were being raised, but maybe share a little bit about what your initial, what before we lost Alex, maybe what your attitude was and then how that's kind of, well, not kind of how it completely changed once we lost Alex. <clears throat> um, okay, I'm not proud of this, but my at my attitude towards suicide before Alex had died, I had, I had never uh, you know really been touched by suicide by anybody that I knew or or friends or other any of their family members. So, in kind of the way I was raised is that if there was an issue, if there was a problem, you 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 work through it and you get through it and. Um, I kind of had this attitude that suicide was a bit of a cop-out, that, you know, you could get through whatever it was that was troubling you, that was whatever it might be. and The basic stigma view of suicide's a cop-out, suicide's selfish, that kind of thing. That's part of the stigma that now I know exists that needs to, needs to go away about mental health. Because I didn't know anything about mental health, and I had never had any suicidal thoughts or tendencies myself um, and so then when we get you know hit with this you know um, 
that's where part of the anger came from at the beginning. And But over the course of the four and a half years, um, my views on suicide have completely changed. And so something, you know, somebody who's new to this world of, of having lost, you know, a loved one, whether it's a child or a parent or a brother or sister, um, you know, educate yourself about mental health and what might have driven that person to do what they did. Um, because it's an illness. It's an illness. And I didn't see it as that, you know, it's, it's, uh, and, and that's part of the stigma that I've have since changed my attitude that while it, it, it's good that, you know, everybody who's been affected by suicide is, is, you know, talking about it and we have to have more discussions. It's getting the people who are suffering from mental illness, not mental illness, but suffering from mental health issues, depression, getting those people to come out and talk and seek help, you know, from friends or family members or, or professional help. Well, but it's also, it is also about getting, making the conversation so mainstream that people that are, that haven't yet been touched by suicide hopefully won't be touched by suicide because everybody becomes aware enough of what has been a pervasive stigma for so long that we erase all of the stigma around mental health and mental illnesses um, to the point that so many more people are reaching out for the help that they should. And the people that don't need help know how to reach out to those that do need it. Right. Right. I mean, you know, there's no shame in having, <clears throat> having some kind of physical ailment or illness that you go and, and seek help for and talk you know, to people, your friends and family members. So why can't it be the same way with mental issues? Right. So we'll go a different direction for a few minutes and, and go back to some of the things that... Um, as we went along and got through the survival, the, the first year, all of the shock of everything. Um, at that point, you know, I, I've talked about how for me in many ways, the second year was harder than the first. And that's simply because I think the shock wears off and it, the, the, what I call the permanence of it really started to set in. And so you know, the first and second year are kind of an anomaly in themselves. So I'm probably going a little bit into the third year when I really start talking about this. But at some point, both of us realized that a lot of the changes that had occurred in me were permanent, that I wasn't ever going to get back to my old self. Um, and that there were some, uh, and that I changed, you know, basically, I mean, obviously, this changed all of us. But for the sake of our conversation today, and in talking to lost survivors, I thought it would be important to bring up the fact that I mean, you obviously know that I've changed, correct? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and, yes. and so I would like you to maybe tell some of the ways that you feel like you that I've changed. Well, obviously losing Alex, you know, shattered your world, um, shattered all of our world. And it's, it, I think that, that losing Alex had changed your focus and maybe things that were important to you 
in the past, like, you know, work and things of that nature weren't necessarily as as important or they some things made that have been a little bit, you know, have become more overwhelming than they would have been, you know, before when you were a whole and all, you know, and Alex was still with us. And um, I think that that would happen with anybody who had lost, lost a child and it's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, I also think that it has made you not that you weren't already a very nice, kind, caring person. I've said before many times that you're the nicest, kindest, caring person I've ever met. I think this has made you even more caring. I think it's it's probably affected all of us that way, because um, you never know what somebody else is going through when you're talking, you know, with them, you know, a stranger or even even a friend. You don't you don't we don't always know what's going on. So um, yeah, I think it it, it changed your focus. Um, changed priorities i think it also changed my ability to focus sometimes don't you think that i seem a little bit at least i feel like i'm more scattered and less um i mean it may have changed my some of my focus in life but it also changed my ability to focus in the here and now a little bit sometimes yeah i think so i think even you know it's we say it's only been four and a half years sometimes it seems like it was yesterday Sometimes it seems like it's been forever, but that the changes that it made in you will will be that I believe probably forever. Yeah, um, some of that goes, and we won't we won't go down that rabbit hole today. We'll save that for one of my rabbit hole episodes. But the rabbit hole piece of that is that there is a brain based trauma response that I have had that has. I believe with everything in me, and I know there's plenty of um, research done in this area, that the trauma that I've experienced has altered things in my brain, things in my um, how I process things and think from a actual cellular level. I don't know if that's the right way to put it. So, you know, you've had to, I'm sure many times, look at me sideways and think, what <laughs> and then and then you just and then you just accept it and go with it and you know along with a lot of the changes in the focus and trying to build what i know is a more genuine life um from here you've seen a lot of my interests change and you know um i have become much more holistic and earth-based and whole self-based and natural-based than I ever was before. And, you know, we joke, I'm, I'm sarcastic. I'm an ass sometimes. And, and I will, you know, I will joke about how, you know, do you ever look at me now and think, who are you and what are you doing with, you know, these rocks all around you and things like that. And I'll just tell my, my listeners that from where I sit, um, this man has never made me feel judged. If anything, he's always made me um, feel encouraged to be who I am. And so that is something that if I, I would think that people that maybe have been together longer, maybe sometimes that would be more of a challenge, but to, to find in your support, somebody that truly does just support you, that they don't try to, um, change who you are or get you to be the version of yourself you were yesterday. And I know in many ways this could apply to life in general, but I don't know. Have you ever, um, if you have ever judged me for my new interests and the, the way that I'm 
dealing with my healing, you sure haven't, haven't said anything, but encouragement. Um, and so what I would offer is that for a while, I feel like I was doing a really good job, um, or at least as good of a job as I could at trying to, um, do things that were healing, um, to start to learn to take care of myself. And again, we're talking probably year three. I, I wasn't very good at some of these things in the beginning and I wish I had been better at them. Um, but I felt like I was doing the best that I could. And yet probably somewhere around, you know, as we got nearer to year four or somewhere around there, um, it became obvious to me that I needed outside help, that the things that I was doing for myself wasn't enough. And and that's not to say everybody needs it or what, what point they do. It's more of a, whenever you realize that you do, you know, to seek it, that's my advice there. But my question to you is, did you ever feel like as my support person that I needed outside help because you sure never came to me and said, I think, I think you need outside help. But when I said that I did, you were obviously very supportive of that. So I guess uh, that's a slippery slope. And maybe that's what I want you to talk about is how do you watch somebody that obviously on some level you had to know I was spiraling a bit and was going to need some help, but had to walk that, slippery slope to not say the wrong thing and make me feel judged or unsupported. Right. And that's, <clears throat> I think probably about a year, year and a half ago um, is when I started maybe thinking that getting outside professional help was, uh, you know, probably more needed than, than maybe just an option. But again, it goes back, you know, everybody's different. Everybody grieves a little bit differently and, and you are a very strong person. Um, and so maybe you held some of that in and didn't show it all, but I struggled with how to um, bring up the subject of going to get professional help either, you know, whether it be, you know, through the internet or actually going to an office and talking to somebody or whatever it might be. Cause I didn't want to come across as, you know, you know, saying that there was something wrong with you because there's not anything wrong with you. Uh, this is just the grieving process. But then as you started to talk about it and we would talk about it, I just kind of let it come naturally when you yourself went out and have found professional help. I certainly wasn't going to stand in the way of that, you know, regardless of the cost or time or whatever it might be, because you know, all the friends and family and support that you have around you can only do so much because we're not professionals. And and sometimes you just need somebody who's not as close to the situation that's got the training, professional training, to help. And that should not be something to be ashamed of. Well, and I think we just unpacked a kind of a really important point that a lot of people deal with, but there's a, there's a, there's a sad irony in some of what we just said, because you were afraid of me feeling, you know, judged or in other words, that's part of the stigma, right? That's why I'm, that's what, that's where I'm getting at is that we, on some level, uh, many grievers may fight off the urge to get professional help because especially those of us that are type A, 
you know, the strong ones in the group. We fight off that um, because we feel like we should be able to do this on our own. And here's the the catch is I, it isn't that I was worried about, you know, being labeled mentally ill or any of those things. I was living in the world of, of acceptance that mental health is as important as physical health, but yet I was talking the talk and not walking the walk. I wasn't taking care of myself. And it goes back to, to self-care and, and even self-worth a little bit more than it does it being about the stigma. But there was a piece of that with you that you were worried about the stigma that you would put off on me if you called me crazy. And I where I'm putting that word in air quotes, because I don't <clears throat> particularly like it and think it don't think it's accurate, but it, we don't always have the right word for things. So you didn't want to come across like you were calling me, you know, not okay, because not okay, somehow isn't okay. Well, being not okay is okay. And um that was kind of the place that I finally got to was realizing that if I was going to, when I actually sought out help, the words that I remember using were, I'm stuck. I'm completely stuck and I don't know how to get out of where I'm at. I felt like I had come to a place that I didn't, I needed some more tools for my toolbox. And I remember, you know, doing a whole lot of research on, on what I was going to do and probably wasting a little bit more time than I needed to trying to find the help. Um, but when I finally decided I did have some anxiety over approaching you about it because I thought, is he going to, you know, think that this isn't necessary or is he going to think that, I mean, I even thought the opposite by admitting that I need this level of help. Is he going to, um, judge me on some level? And of course you did not, you were very supportive and, and, taking that step to, you know, what I decided was if I was going to be able to be here for other people and be a voice for not having um, stigma around mental illness, that I had to actually mean it. And in order to mean it, I had to get the help myself. I had to be able to turn that mirror towards myself and realize that grievers, I'm going to admit something really fragile, but I got to a place that I've never been in my life and had started experiencing some suicidal ideation myself. I would not say I was ever truly suicidal. I didn't have a plan, but for the first time in my life, probably about well, all within this last year, I did start to experience understanding how somebody could feel that way. And I had glimpses of feeling like, I didn't want to live anymore that I didn't feel like there was a reason to be here anymore. And that's a really, really difficult place to be when you feel like you're championing, championing, um, being there for other people and asking other people to speak up. And so I dug as deep as I possibly could, and I stood up as straight as I possibly could. And I told my husband that I was going to get some help. And it was honestly the best decision I've ever made. Um, and that's a conversation for another episode because I do want to talk about what I did. But more importantly, um, maybe what are your thoughts on what brought me to that point and what you would add to that? 
Well, I think what brought you to that point was like what you just said is that maybe over the past year, year and a half, you, you know, would say things to me like, you know, the grief, you know, may, may take you to, you know, or that you would had thoughts of just not wanting to live anymore. And of course, that worried me. And, you know, it's not like I didn't ever say, have you considered getting professional help? Because we, we did have those conversations. But then when you actually finally, because I don't think you, you, you don't want to take your own life and you do want to help others. And so, like you said, if, in order for you to walk the walk and talk the talk, you've got to, you've got to take care of yourself too. And I think that, um, the help that you've, that you've gotten is, is, has been wonderful and you seem to be in a, a better place and, you know, the help that you've got may not work for everybody. Everybody's got to find their own source of professional help as long, you know, as, as well as friends and family and support, um, support groups and things of that nature. Um, but I, I, I just think it's, it's probably the, the best decision that you've, you've made. So well, and, and that said, it's, it's, it definitely was the best last decision I've made, meaning I've made many decisions along the way that, if I look at them all, all of them have helped bring me to where I am now. There are a lot of tools that I have in my toolbox now that I did not have before I lost Alex and they all come together. And I've touched on those in one of my small episodes. I will touch on all of them individually in larger episodes, you know, everything from the transpersonal energy healing that I have done to, you know, everything from essential oils to things that I know that GR, you now you now know as part of my daily life. And some of it is part of our daily life, just because you live in this space with me too. Um, that as I have slowly added all these things to my life, I now um, depend on them to keep me um, centered and, moving forward but does this mean i don't grieve anymore no no i mean there are still times when you know the um overwhelming grief you know comes out you know sometimes you know we wake up in the morning and you just wake up sad and and that actually happened yesterday (laughs) you know and i've learned that instead of trying i ask you if you want to talk about it and you say no and then we just sit there and that's fine that's what's got to be done sometimes you just it's okay to be sad and and there's no getting that's one thing I've learned, you know, about especially the, the loss of a child is that there's there, there's no getting over the grief. There's no getting over the loss of that person. So those times are gonna always be there and we'll always have them. Um you just kinda learn to um live with it better. Well, I I think, and I have to add this because I hope I hope somebody listening will will be able to take this to heart. Um, I know you won't, you know, toot your own horn where this is concerned, but you have an immense capacity for just being a supportive person. And you're right; maybe in the beginning times of this loss, you were more like trying to fix it, but you have allowed yourself to grow in this with me to the point that. I mean, that's the last thing I want to do is come across to people like I've got this all figured out and I'm fine and I don't grieve because the way I look at grieving is it isn't about moving through it to the end. It's about growing with it and 
learning to have your grief be a, as healthy a part of your life as it can be, because at least for me, with the suicide loss of my child, just like I will never quit loving my other children at, on any level, the same exists for Alex until the day I die. So this grief isn't going anywhere. Um, so I have to learn to live successfully with it. And I may be living a fairly centered, healthy life at the moment, but my grief is still there. And so, yes, when it shows up, both GR and I have learned to honor that and to let it be whatever it is. And I've had to learn to communicate with him and tell him what I need or what I don't need. And he has gotten yesterday was a morning that for some reason, probably dreams and different things as I was waking up, I was just very sad about several things. And I, I literally just needed to sit with it. He actually came in and found me just laying on the bed after I had gotten up. I think I was laying face down, still just laying there. And he said, Are you okay? And I remember saying, I'm just really sad. And I just need to be sad for a few minutes. And, you know, he reminded me that it's okay to cry. And he just stood there for a few minutes with me. And I said, I'm fine, I'm going to get up in a few minutes. And I did. But that's something that with my growth, I've learned to do um, is to just take time sometimes, even if it's five minutes, to just be still and silent and be sad. Or sometimes I still well and scream um, and sob uncontrollably. But if I honor those emotions when they're there, then I can get through that moment and move on, you know, move on for the day or for the hour or whatever that is. And you have just become so graceful for the most part at this grief dance that we do that I don't even think you realize how graceful you've become at it. The grief dance? The grief dance. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it can be anything that triggers it, too. I mean, even even uh, whether it's dreams or, or things that you associate with that person, like um, the number seven. Or a number of songs that you might, that, you know, I know songs have a tendency to trigger the grief and the sadness for me, where you'll be fine and then you'll hear a song and all of a sudden you're crying. And that's okay. It's, it's, it's part of it. Right. See, there you heard his, his attitude is it's okay. He doesn't suddenly go, oh my gosh, she's crying again. He realizes he's going to look at me for the rest of my life and sometimes suddenly see me crying. Um, but, it's allowing me those moments and allowing those times that have made it a healthy part of my life. It's not something I have to hide. It's not something I have to worry about him thinking that there's something wrong with me. He knows that actually, to be honest with you, I think you said one time, if you didn't, didn't get upset about these things or whatever, I would be more worried about you than if you did. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, I know he touched on it briefly before, but um, GR lost both of his parents. And so uh, it is, he, he, he knows grief. He knows what, what that looks like. But we've both discussed the fact that, the, you know, I lost my dad um, actually within eight days of when his dad died. So the same, same month, same year that his dad died, I lost my dad back in 1998. So um, we both have experienced parent loss. And, and um, that being said, we thought we knew what, what grief looked like until till this happened. So to kind of wrap this up for today and summarize it all a little bit, I would like to know if you would be willing to share 
I don't know, two or three, whatever you feel appropriate thoughts on advice that you could give to especially a primary support person in the early days of suicide loss? Okay, so if I was speaking to someone who would be in, in a main support role, um, I would advise them to, you know, don't try to know that you know, don't try to pretend that you know what somebody's feeling unless you could put yourself in their shoes because um, you just you just don't know um, somebody else's grief. Um, I would also, like I said earlier before, you know, I used to always try to fix it, and there is no fixing this. Um, so the best thing that you could probably do is listen. Listen and, and, and be patient. Um, don't try to push somebody to get over something that there maybe is never, you know, ever real getting over. Just be patient and listen. And then also, you know, it probably would be a good idea to start the conversation about getting outside help, you know, early on in the grief process, whether that's, you know, seeking professional help or maybe just let that happen, you know, organically as it comes along, but maybe seeking uh, support groups, um, you know, whether online or in in your community somewhere, but finding some some something else where other people that are going through the same things that they're going through uh, can relate. And that would probably be the the main things, listen, but the rest of it, you know, those would be the, the, the main things that if I had known then what I know now, we maybe could have done a little bit different. Well, thanks. I mean, well, yeah, we could have done things different. I think we... we... But nobody knows. I mean, you don't know how you're going to handle this until you're hit with it. You know, it doesn't come with a handbook. Right. I know. It doesn't. You're right, for sure. And like everything else that I say um, with my podcast, you know, I only want people to take things that they need, things that serve them and leave the rest. So I know that there's probably pieces of this that might serve you and some of them that don't. And I just hope that you're able to take something from the conversation, from our, from our journey, from our survival story. And, um, you know, we're still in it. We, you know, may have a conversation about this a year from now and have some totally new things to add, because I think JR would agree with me. We know that this is going to be, at least for me as a mom, um, part of my journey for the rest of my life. So, um, I can't, Thank you enough, honey, for being willing to sit down and have a recorded conversation um, and being willing to let me share it with everybody that is willing to listen. Well, you know, we all, I, well, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we all wish that Alex was still here and we probably wouldn't be doing this, but that's not the situation we're in. So, Having, it, is, it is what it is. It is right? what it is. And having resources out there because, you know, you found out through learning how to deal with your grief that there's not a whole lot of resources out there for the grief that you're going through. And so this is what you're doing is, is wonderful. And I'm so proud of you. And I love you. And, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll stay on this journey together. Yeah. Well, I love you too. And... We're going to get through this together. 
I'm so appreciative of everybody that took the time to listen today. And I know there'll be more conversations to come. Thank you so much. Talk soon. Grievers, it is my hope that from today, you will take that which serves you and simply leave the rest. If you connect with what you have heard, please subscribe to get notified of my new episodes every week, and please feel free to share it with others in the suicide loss community. If you are so led, I would also be honored if you would leave a review so that others might find us more easily. You can find me and all ways to connect with me at my Instagram, The Leftover Pieces. I want you to know that I know how very, very hard life is now. It's true that we will never be the same, but we are going to be okay. We will figure this out somehow, together, and we will keep our loved ones with us because there is no getting over or past grief, only learning to live more gracefully alongside it. Only through talk can we keep their memories alive learn to live again, and bring some awareness so that less will suffer. Join me again next week, and we will keep the talk going. We will sign off today, as always, with the wise words of my Alex's favorite, Peter Pan. Never say goodbye, because goodbye means going away, and going away means forgetting. Grievers, no one here is forgetting. Talk soon.